2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. Nikki, help me. Advance one screen, please. My PowerPoint keeps locking up on me. There we go. Is that correct? Okay. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ Jesus. But we have this treasure, listen to this, we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Now, I want to preach to you this morning about, along the lines, with this title in mind, Jesus loves cracked pots. Notice, it's not cracked pots. It's cracked pots. Okay? When we take into account the scripture that we read to you uh, this morning, it goes back into, you can actually, if you want to go back later on and do some reading, you can do some preliminary reading in Second Corinthians chapter 3, and you find there how Paul is giving teachings, if you would, to the church at Corinth of the Old Covenant versus the New. Now, as glorious as the old plan was, and when you read the Old Testament and you you uh, you take into account all of the beauty of the Old Testament, uh, uh, the tabernacle in the wilderness, in particular, is a beautiful picture of the plan of salvation uh, that God has for the Word. It's very prophetic in nature. But as beautiful as the old plan was, when we study Scripture, we find out that the new plan gives an even more glorious way. You see, God didn't create man. He didn't create uh, you and I. And ladies, when I say man, that includes you. I'm speaking of creation of humanity. God didn't create man just just out of haphazardness. I, I had this conversation with an atheist this week. And, and as I had this conversation with this atheist, uh, we were talking about creation. And, and, and uh, I said, are, are you any different than a dog? He said, sure I am. I said, why are you different than a dog? He said, I just am. He said, he said, I'm a human. I said, exactly. I said, God, I said, do you know how God created humans different than the other animals? Now I've got news to, for you today. I don't, I, I don't mean to bust your bubble. I don't mean to, I, I don't, I don't mean to hurt your feelings when I say this, but when Fido dies, Fido don't go to heaven. Neither does old Fluff the cat go to heaven. You see, none of those, none of those creatures have living souls. The only thing that has living souls is humanity. God created man. And He created man in His own image. And it says that, that when God created man in His own image, then He breathed into the nostrils of man the breath of life. And man came a human soul. Now, if you, if you, you know, if you, if you want to think the dogs are in heaven, cats are in heaven, I, that's fine, that's fine with me, whatever you want to think. But the reality is, according to Scripture, the only thing that has a living soul is us as humanity, people. 
man we were called in the beginning. And then, and then we know our forefather Adam and, and Eve, they failed and, and in their failure then we went from being man to being, if you would, human. Because human actually means hewn out of man. Because see, with the fall of Adam and Eve, then we become less, we became less than as, as God's creation. With the fall of Adam and Eve, we became less than what God intended for us to be. You see, every single one of us in this room, every single person watching by live stream, every single person that will listen to this on podcast or however you hear this word, every single one of us, we are less than what God intended us to be because of sin. We're human, hewn out of man. But as we go into what Paul is teaching, the old covenant, the law had its place and it was good and it was a picture of everything that was to come. The new covenant, the old covenant was given under the law. The new covenant is given under the Spirit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I made reference to that just a moment ago. In verses 16 and 17, we read there that, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So the summary is, I'm convicted by the law. The the Old Testament, the law has its place. The law has its part. And and I'm, I'm not one of those that believe we can rip the Old Testament out of the Scripture. I believe it's still very, very pertinent to who we are and what we are in this age. But understand that it is that that we're convicted by the law, but we are set free by the Spirit. And Paul teaches that to us. So the new do- the New Testament doctrine of liberty through the Spirit, if you would, and uh, it's a doctrine of liberty as opposed to the binding of the law. The law was very bound- binding. In fact, we still hear expressions today that, well, I'm bound to the law. People will come to me and they'll say, I've had people come to me and they'll say, hey, hey, pastor, he, they, we want to get married, but, but we don't really want to do it through the courts and have a license and everything. Can you do that for us? And I'll say, absolutely not. Well, we may lose part of our benefits if we get married because then we have one income, one household. I'll say, absolutely not. Well, why can't you do that? We're still married in the eyes of God. I said, because I'm also, I'm bound to the law. I'm bound to the law of West Virginia. I'm bound to the law of Virginia when it comes to performing marriages. You see, the law is is binding, but the Spirit sets us free. So the first New Testament calling, uh, let, let us examine that this morning. The New Testament calling, first off, is not found in rituals. I mentioned I had a conversation with an atheist this week. And I, that's true. I wouldn't fib you about that at all. And, and, and as I had this conversation with an atheist this week, and, and, and the conversation started something like this. That, that person said, I'm not into religion. And I looked at him and said, neither am I. He said, what? I said, neither am I. He said, sure you are. You do, you do church and stuff. You're into religion. I said, no, no, no. No, no, I, I said religion, I said in my mindset at least, I said religion is a routine and, and it's events and it's going through practices. I said you can be religious about a lot of things. We can have religion in a lot of things. I said, no, 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 no. I said, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He said, same thing. I said, no, 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 it's not. 
I said, I said, I, I said, you come to, to Voice of Praise Worship Center. I said, if you want to wear a tie, it's okay. But if you don't wear a tie, it's okay. If I, I said, but to be honest with you, if you wear a necktie, you probably don't be strange because you don't be the only person in the church with a necktie on. Although we welcome them. I, I said, I said, religion is not going through some formality. It's not going through some form. It's not going through some fat. Religion is all of those things. And, and but, but, but relationship is, is putting all those things aside. I said, and finding ourselves in right relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, when we begin to look at the New Testament calling, it, it, the New Testament calling as our relationship is not found in rituals. In fact, I hope this comment don't bother you. I made this was the best thing I could come up with, I guess. So I made this note to myself. Liturgy is neither good nor bad. And we talked about this in life groups this morning. It's always weird how it comes up. It's neither good nor bad, but and it's not necessarily out of order. But liturgy will never bring us into a relationship with Jesus Christ. We, you can give in the offering till you're broke. You can be, listen, you can be baptized. You can be, if you, if you don't like being baptized in one of these baptisteries like we've got back here, you can go to the creek or the river and be baptized until every red eye, every minor, everything in there knows your social security number and has your credit card and the pin number off the back of it. But all of those things, all, all of these things together, they have their place, but those are not the things that make us righteous or make us right with God. You see, liberty through the Spirit, it's, it's, really, it's really not about entering into a state of perfection. Uh, I know myself as a young man, a teenager really, and I know oftentimes when I encounter other people in life, they'll, they'll say, you know, and, and I, think of, I think about Agrippa, he said, Paul, you almost persuaded me to become a Christian. And many times I've, I've, I've spoke with people and I've talked with people. And because in their, in their ideology, uh, being a Christian is about going through fashion and going through a formality and going through a ritual and going through a routine. And so many times people will look at me and say, uh, you know, I would like to be a Christian, but I don't think I can live it. Let me tell you something as a, as a young man, and, and, and I shared just a little bit a few minutes ago as Whitney was singing about my experience with God. I didn't grow up, listen, I didn't grow up in church. I was, I was a heathen. My wife, she might say you still are sometimes, you know. But the truth of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have all that form and fashion in my mind. I just knew, I, I just know that my spirit was broken. I didn't understand it at that time, but my spirit was broken and I needed an encounter with God. And I can remember, and I've told this story, but it's been a long time since I've told it in this room. My mom, I was the first one to ever come to know Jesus in my family. And I remember the night I went to that revival service and I went to the altar not knowing what, what I needed, not knowing what I wanted. I just knew there was something there I wanted. I was, I was broken. 
and I went and I, I and, and it's not all in crying, but my spirit was so broken I weep bitterly. I mean, there was a literally the the floor was wet in front of me where I had cried tears, and, and I and I go home and I I had ridden to church with an aunt and uncle of mine, and they take me home, and and I'm in I'm laying in my bed that night, and my mother comes and sits down beside of my bed, and she has her little white Bible with a zipper on it that you used to could buy, and she said, "Here, son, I want to give you my Bible so you'll have a Bible." I, I, she said, "I heard you went to the altar tonight." I said, "I did, Mama." She said, "She said now." She said, "You know, if you got saved, she said, you can't do anything wrong anymore." Let me tell you, my mama loved me. I was the best of her two children, if you want to know the truth about it. If she was still here, you could ask her. She thought I was the best. She thought I was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And my dad felt that way about my sister, but my mama loved me. You know. Nah, she was, I was her, I was her baby. And you know, and my mother meant well when she told me that. She meant very well. But, but you know, I, I thought all of a sudden my mindset, my mindset was that I thought I, because I had gotten saved, I had been zapped into a state of perfection. Now hear me out. I did not understand you. See, Jesus doesn't tell us to go make Christians. Go, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all men. Disciples. Just, Discipline is part of that word, but it means it means pupil or ongoing learning. So I, I dis, but later in life I discovered that I, I had not entered into a state of perfection, but but I begin to learn and I begin to have an understanding of Scripture, and I hope I convey that understanding to you this morning. There's three things that I want to touch on. That you you and I have not been zapped into a state of perfection, but we are called into three different things. The first one is sanctification. Now, what does sanctification mean? Sanctification is what sanctification is not perfection. Let me say that to you. Sanctification is not perfection. Sanctification actually means a setting apart or separating. Now. When I got saved, I got saved in a holiness church. It was Assemblies of God, but it was holiness nonetheless. It's Pentecostal nonetheless. And when I, when I, when I got, when I got saved and, and I found myself in that church and that's where my, my teaching, that's where my indoctrination, that's where my, my training began to come from. I remember, I, I know y'all don't look at me and say he really doesn't look that old, but I'm talking about in the 1970s. And, and sanctification, so as I was taught, was more about everything that you could and could not do. You couldn't go to the ball games. You couldn't go to the movies. You couldn't go fishing on Sunday. You couldn't do this and you couldn't do that. And, that, and that's what my sanctification, or I, or I was taught, our sanctification existed in all the do's and don'ts that were given. But if you read the Scripture and you study Scripture, you'll find out that sanctification is actually a work of the Spirit. Now, all the other things, I don't talk about them in a minute. Don't, don't get alarmed yet. 
But sanctification is actually a work of the Spirit. You know what? I, uh, uh, I mentioned a few moments ago about, I used to say myself, I'd get saved. You know, I, I had a foul mouth, okay? Just to be very frank with you, I had a potty mouth. I didn't have just a potty mouth. I had an outhouse mouth. I had a bad, bad mouth. And I would go out in the shed, still there today. I need, I need some. You got an extra Saturday. Want to help me? I need to put some props in it. I used to go out, manage it on my own. I couldn't do it on my own. Listen, if I could have done everything that needed to be done in my life on my own, what would I have needed Jesus for to start with? Mm hmm. And cussing was just a minor problem. Well, I mean, it was a major minor problem. Yeah, but but I knew I wasn't supposed to be doing it, and 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 yet yet I would say, Lord, but but you know when I finally realized, hey, it, it's not about me becoming a Christian and me developing myself into a Christian, but it's about me having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, allowing the Holy Spirit to come in and do a work in my life, and allowing the Holy Spirit to sanctify me. And when I did that, all of the old things that used to happen, they they begin to cease. They stop and the work of the Holy Spirit begin to sanctify me. The second thing that I want to speak to you about is the work of submission. The Holy Spirit is our sanctifier, but then there's a work of submission. And that work of submission actually lies within our responsibility. You know, one of the most misquoted scriptures in all of the Bible is, well, the Bible says to resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Mm. We don't really misquote it. We just condense it a little bit too much. Because when you read that verse of Scripture, the Bible says, Submit yourselves therefore unto God, resist the devil, and then he will flee from you. You see, too often times we won't... And, and I've been saying this for weeks. We heard it the other a uh, uh, few weeks ago in some classes we were in. We we want we want the hand of God, but we don't want the face of God. We want we want everything the hand of God can hand us, but we don't want to we don't want to look the face of God. We don't want to look Him square in the eye and, and hear what He has to say. But the reality of it is, God is calling us to submit ourselves unto Him. Submit yourselves therefore unto God. Resist the devil, then the devil will flee from you. You see, the work to, the work of Saint will work in our lives, but God is also calling us to submission where we submit ourselves to God. You got, we got to be at the place, God, I want you to work in my life. God, I want you to sanctify me. God, I want you to clean me up. God, I want you to set me apart. God, I want you to do everything that I need in my life. And as I submit myself to you, submission to God, well, we also should submit ourselves to the Lord's work, which means submitting ourselves to one another. It also involves the work, if you would, thirdly, of consecration. You see, because consecration, consecration is not simply ritual or routine. Understand, we, there, there, there are, there are people, there are people that are not saved that develop good habits. Can you, did you, do I need to say that again? There are people that are unsaved. They are lost. They're not in right relationship with God, but they have good habits. Sometimes the most difficult people to reach for Jesus are people that are good people. 
They have good habits. They have good routines. They, they, they don't, they don't chew, smoke, cuss, drink, run around with wild women, and run around with wild men or uh, any of that stuff. They're good people. Good, pe- good people go to hell. Can I say that one more time? Good people go to hell. God doesn't send them there. Whoever told you that God sent people to hell, they told you, they gave you bad information. You see, because God sends nobody to hell, but we make a choice where our eternal destiny is by our choice of a relationship with Jesus Christ, whether to accept Him as our Lord or Savior or to turn Him away or to deny Him. But the problem is, 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 is we, we are not saved of our righteousness because the Bible describes our righteousness as being filthy rags. We cannot be saved by our good works and our good deeds, but yet because we love Jesus and we have a relationship with Him, we find ourselves with a desire to consecrate ourselves. The Holy Spirit does the work of sanctification. We submit ourselves unto the Lord and He works in our life and then we begin to consecrate consecrate ourselves. You see, the work of consecration, if you want to look up a literal definition, is the dedicating dedication or the dedicating of one's entire being. To something. That means mind, soul, body, and spirit. The trichotomy of man. We give everything we have to God. You see, you know, sometimes we do things, and I was talking to someone recently, and they was, uh, they, they were telling me they had a farm of nearly a hundred acres. And, and the cost of owning that farm had got, uh, uh, out of their out of their reach, so they said, "What we've done, we have divided the farm up. We rent out one third of the farm. We use another third of the farm to uh, to uh, bell hay to grow hay on, and we use the other third of the farm to put our horses on to graze. And we we learn to manage in that. And the rent from the part that the one third that we rent out." helps us to pay all of the bills on the property. So they've got the entire farm, but yet they're not making necessarily personal use, if you follow me, of the farm as theirs because they're letting somebody else have it in part under a lease agreement. You know, sometimes you and I, you know, we say, God, I want you to have, God, I want you, I want you to have me, but you can only have like this much. Or God, oh God, you can only have, you know, you can have me like this much, you know. Uh, I, I read, I read the scriptural account the other day of, of the man that, 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 that went out ankle deep into the water and then he went out thigh deep into the water and then he went out a little bit deeper until, until he got in water deep enough to swim in. You know, sometimes we'll say, yeah, God, I want you to have me, but there's this much of me you can't touch. But you see, when, when we're consecrated unto God, we're saying, God, I want you to have every inch of me. Every pound of me, every one of the hairs on my head, and some of us is less than others, okay? I know that, I know that. But yet God, whatever I, whatever I consist of, whatever I exist of, I want you to have everything there is to have of me. Consecration or disciplines occur when the work of sanctification, the spiritual work, 
has occurred in our life. You see, when when Jesus comes in and the Holy Spirit does His work and, and the work of sanctification begins to take place in our life, guess what? Our priorities change. Guess what? When the work of, when Jesus comes in and the, and the, and the Holy Spirit brings in that work of sanctification, guess what? Our, our likes and our dislikes begin to change. Guess what? When, when, when the, when Jesus comes in and the work of the Holy Spirit does His work of sanctifying our lives and we, and we are dedicating ourselves to the Lord, guess what? The, you know, uh, uh, somebody said, uh, years ago, it used to be a little adage that said, uh, you know, I'm still dancing, but I just changed partners. But the, the reality of it is, everything in our life begins to change when God comes in. That's why the scripture says, and this fulfills that scripture, that says, Behold, all the old things have passed away and everything has become new. Through Christ Jesus, as He sanctifies us, as He cleanses us, as we submit ourselves unto Him, everything in our life begins to change. There used to be a guy in the very first church that I pastored. He's passed away now. But Dewey was a rough man and Dewey had spent many years in prison. He had prison tattoos all over his arm. His, his face was scarred from knife fights. He, he was, he was, he was a rough looking character, but he played the guitar some and he sang just a little bit. Actually sang pretty good, but, but he sang, he used to sing a song and that song said, the old man is dead. Dewey still looked scarred and he still had the, the prison tattoos and he still had all the markings on his body. But you know what? The old man is dead. The old man that, that had actually even murdered somebody else. The old man that had thieved and robbed and done all kind of horrible, terrible things. That old man was dead because he that stole, stole no more. He that murdered, murdered no more. And we look at those things and we say, well, I don't do any of those, but... Whatever it is in our life, when the Holy Spirit comes in and sanctifies us, and we submit ourselves to the Lord, and, and we, we cons- begin to consecrate ourselves, then we find ourselves changed, remolded, reshaped for the glory of God. Because you see, Paul relates in the scripture that we took text from this morning, He relates you and I to old, dirty pots. In fact, just take a moment right now. And just look at the person next to you and say to them, in a complimentary fashion, you're a dirty old pot. You're just a dirty old pot. That's all we are. According to what Paul said, we're, we're just, we're just earthen vessels. Earthen vessels. I mean, we're, we're dirty old pots. We're clay vessels. We're made out of the dirt. Mud and water. We're just dirty old pots. But he's using that for a metaphor. He's using that for an example, if you would, uh, 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 because what would happen in, in the, in the, in the community of the Corinthian people, uh, many of the Corinthian people had been very successful in life and they had wealth. And, and, and Scott Browning wouldn't even have a job if he was living back in ancient Corinth because there weren't any banks. They weren't any safety deposit boxes and there actually weren't any safes hidden under the floor of the house, so to speak. 
But what people would do, people in, in the, in the city of Corinth, what they would do, they would take their valuables, whether they were few or many or no matter really how much they cost, but the things that were valuable to them, they traditionally would take their value, their valuables and they would put their valuables in the ugliest container, the most undesirable looking container that they could find in their house. That's where they stored their good stuff. And that's what Paul is equating you and I to. God takes the most valuable treasure that he has, his spirit, and he stores his spirit. He puts his spirit into the most undesirable, ugly, dirty, filthy looking vessels that he can, like the Corinthians, for safekeeping. Because it was the mindset of the Corinthians that if a thief broke in the house or somebody came to rob their house, the last place they would look is in the old dirty, broken, dilapidated vessels. Is anybody in the room yet? Is anybody still here? Are you still with me? Now listen to this. So if we try to glorify God in our own perfection, understand, I've already said there's a work of sanctification, spirit work. There's a work of of submission. That's a physical work on our part. And there's a work of consecration, which is a combined effort. But if we try to glorify God in our perfection, we only kid ourselves. It it doesn't any more than draw attention uh, to ourselves. Like in Luke chapter 18, in Luke chapter 18, uh, we find that the Lord talks about the, the, the publicans, not republicans, but the publicans and the Pharisees. Uh, I'm not sure what these are. I'm not sure if they're apricots. It's, a, it's all we can find in a pinch. I'm not sure if these are apricots. I think that's what they actually are. But I want to tell you what. Have you ever been, have you ever went into one of those places somebody have a, sometimes I, if you ever see me do it, don't point it out. I'll go in, I'll walk by and I'll, I'll touch a flower just to see if it's artificial or real because stuff, sometimes they can make it look so good that it actually may. Here, Faith, go ahead and take a bite of that. Take a bite of that. See how good. That looks good, don't it? That looks good. There you go. Take, go ahead and take a bite of that. It looks like the real thing, don't it? It look, this, this looks good. There you go. Who else wants one? Go ahead and take a bite of it while you got time. There you go. Kathy, I'm pretty good, pretty good thrower. Alright, Robin, you gotta pick up the, you gotta pick up the slack here. Yeah. These things, man, they, they look good. They look good. There's somebody grab that. There you go. They look good, don't they? But you know what? As good as they look, as good as they look, there's one thing that you have to say about these things. As good as they look, they're fake. They're fake. I'm not going to throw this one since I just bit on it because it's got my lobber on it. You want it anyway? Here's what, here's my point. We can look good as we want to look. We can cross the T's. We can dot the I's. 
But if we're fake, it doesn't matter in the eyes of, it doesn't matter to who, whatever and whoever else. Because God knows our heart. He sees our heart. He knows our heart. We can fake it, but we can fake it, but we'll never make it. You know, sometimes when I'm playing music, you know, there, there's an old adage that says, well, just go ahead and fake it and we'll make it. But let me tell you something. When it comes to a relationship with God, you can fake it all you want to, but you'll never fake it and make it. You, that we're called to a right relationship with God. Now, listen, I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready to get off here. I'm not going to get through, but I know we're running out of time. Madison, if you want to come on back up. Luke chapter 18, the guy says, I fast twice a week. I do all these things. I'm great. I pray. But he didn't have his heart right. Understand this. None of us within ourselves have what it takes. When I go to, when I go to Isaiah chapter 64, it says, all of us have become like one who is unclean, a leper. All, all our righteous acts are filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. And I want you to know this. I want you to know this. God loves cracked pots. God loves cracked pots. You see, the pots are undesirable. Yet our, in, in all of our undesirable traits, all of our undesirable ways, the Holy Spirit if we'll submit ourselves to God, we'll come in and He will inhabit us. I want to read this. I want to read this scripture to you real quick. Y'all hold it down real low for me, please. I want to read this scripture to you real quick. Jeremiah chapter 18. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house. And there I'll give you my message. So Jeremiah speaking in verse 3 he said so I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel but the pot that he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands it was it was broken it, it was messed up the shape from the clay was marred in his hands so the potter formed it into another pot Shaping it as it seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me and he said, Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does? Declares the Lord. Declares the Lord. Like the clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. I want you, I've given you a bunch of metaphors today. But I want you to understand this. Israel is a type of who we are. Israel is a type of the church. Not this building, but the body of Christ of which you and I are. Our, our, our vessels are our vessels are nothing but clay. Our vessels are marred. Our vessels are broken. Our vessels are messed up sometimes. But I want you to understand this, that when we submit ourselves to God and we put ourselves we put ourselves on the in, in, on the, on the potter's wheel and we let him to shape us and let, we let him begin to mold us and we let him touch our lives. Then I want you to know this. It's no longer about you. Listen, no, no, hunk, no chunk of clay has ever jumped up on a potter's wheel and shaped itself and formed itself and done the, all the process of creating a vessel. No, no, no. The clay has no power to do that. 
the only person that has power to do that is the man that runs the wheel. The man that runs the wheel. So let me say this. You can't fix your problem yourself. As one old brother said, I'm talking to somebody right now. You can't fix the problem yourself. You don't have the ability to fix it. I can't fix my issues myself. But when I say, Lord, I come to you. I come to you, Lord, as a cracked pot. I come to you as a broken vessel. And I know that you love me. I'm a vessel that's made of dirt, clay, and I'm made of water. And Lord, only you can fix me. Only you, Lord, can redeem me. Only you can save me. Only you can sanctify me. I'm just choosing to submit myself to you. I can't fake it in an effort to try and make it. Because you know what? I could probably fool all of you all. We're smart. We're smart people. We're intelligent people. And, and I could fool you. You could fool me. But we'll never fool the one that counts. We'll never fool the Lord God Almighty. Because He looks upon the heart of man. Bow your heads, please. Your heads bowed, and I'm going to ask you to close your eyes out of respect for those that are around you. I want to ask you this question Is there anybody in this room today that needs to find themselves entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ? Maybe you've been faking it for a long time. Maybe you've never really had that encounter with Jesus. Well, how do I know that I had one Jesus with, with Jesus? Preacher, how will I know that? Oh, you'll know. You know, if somebody asks you if, if you're saved and you say, well, I'm really not sure, then, then you probably don't know. But if you're here in this room this morning and you need to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or maybe you're, maybe you have drifted far, far away, just like I did. For about four years, back when I was in my teen years. Maybe that's you today. I won't embarrass you. I'm not, I'm not here for that. That's not my purpose. That's not my plan. I, I don't like to be embarrassed and I won't embarrass you. But here's what I want to ask you. If that's you this morning, if you need an encounter with Jesus, a first time encounter or a, a, a restoration encounter with Jesus, I want you to slip your hand up and say, pray for me right now. Anybody in the room? Heads bowed and eyes are closed. Is there anybody in this room?